0: All right, hey, if you have a Bible, please take it out and open it up to 2 Kings chapter 23. If you do not have a Bible, grab one from under a seat close by in front of you. 2 Kings 23, and we are going to do our best to finish 2 Kings tonight. If you look ahead, that would be three chapters we're going to try to get through. We are looking, we kind of picked up uh, looking from last time, looking at the life of Josiah. We mentioned that we just, we have, we're looking at a very godly man in a very godly reign and as we, as we pick up here in in chapter 23, I want to kind of set the stage a little bit because it's important as we understand who this man Josiah was tells us that he was eight years old when he began to reign. When he took over reigning for his his father, we looked at him last time, Manasseh, and the reign that he had, the most wicked king that ever ruled in Judah. We saw, though, that he, at the end of his life, through what the Lord had done and taken him away to captivity, he did repent, he humbled himself, turned to the Lord. But here now we're seeing looking at Josiah, and it tells us that he started to reign when he was eight years old. It tells us in Second Chronicles chapter 34 that in the eighth year of his reign while he was still a youth, so that means he's 16 years old, it says that he began to seek God, the God of his father David tells us that he began to seek the Lord, and the the great part about that, the great news in that, is that God's word promises us that if we seek the Lord with all that we are, we will find him. God is not into this big cosmic game of hide-and-seek. His desire for us is to understand him and his desire is to reveal himself to us and I and I love that and I want to make a point of that to start because again his desire his heart he was drawn to this and for you young people that are here 16 years old he said that he desired after the Lord he sought after the Lord and the Lord reveals himself to Josiah it doesn't matter how young you are it doesn't matter how old you are doesn't matter where you are in your walk with the Lord. If you just became a Christian yesterday, if you become a Christian tonight, or if you've been following the Lord for 60 years, seek the Lord and he will continue to reveal himself to you. And it tells us that in this process then, at 16 years of age, as he begins to seek after the Lord, it tells us that God reveals himself to him because he found, the, the, the priests did as they were doing some cleaning into the temple, they found a copy of God's word. And it tells us that Josiah then read it. And God revealed himself to Josiah through the reading of his word. And he, was, he came under tremendous conviction as he was reading it. When he found out that this, this is what God desires of us. This is what God has commanded us to do. These are the things that it tells us that if we don't follow God, this is what lies ahead for us. It tells us he was grieved, he was broken. And it tells us that he then sought the word of the Lord through a prophetess. That what does this mean then? The, the word came back that the destruction of Judah is certain. It is set. However, it says in verse 19 of chapter 22, leading in here, because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what was spoken against this place and against its inhabitants, and they should become a desolation and a curse, and you have torn your clothes and wept before me, I have truly heard you, declared the Lord, Therefore, behold, I will gather you to your fathers and you will be gathered to your grave in peace and your eyes will not see the evil which I will bring upon this place. So the judgment is certain, it is coming, but because of Josiah's heart, and we're gonna see what takes place because of that, the judgment was delayed. Now, made a little bit of a point of this last time, but just to emphasize this again, in our human nature, in our flesh, Somebody who's not seeking after the Lord and truly filled with the Spirit, the reaction to that could be, whoa, okay, so it's not going to happen while I'm still around? All right, so I can just cruise right through this, (laughs) as long as it's not going to affect me, but that's not Josiah's heart. Josiah's heart is broken over the sin of his fathers, the sin of his people, and what is coming because of that. And that is where we now come to in chapter 23, because God has revealed himself to Josiah, but revelation, guys, leads to repentance. If we truly are seeking after the Lord and God reveals himself to us, which he promises he will, if our heart is truly after seeking to him, the next step in that is repentance. Repentance means to turn, to turn away from the old direction, but to turn towards God. And we see that take place as we begin chapter 23. Then the king, Josiah, sent and gathered to him all the elders of Judah and of Jerusalem. The king went up to the house of the Lord, and all the men of Judah, and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem with him, and the priests, and the prophets, and all the people, both small and great— and notice he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant which he had found in the house of the Lord now most scholars agree that the book that they that he found that they had found there based on his reaction was the the copy of Deuteronomy which as we studied when we were going through it before that Deuteronomy Deuteronomy is the second giving of the law not a second law The second giving of the law to Moses. And in Deuteronomy, as it goes through, and specifically in chapter 28, it lays out the blessings that will come to the children of Israel if they follow the law, and the curse and the things that will come against them, very specific, that we will see are actually fulfilled as we continue to read tonight, if they do not follow. And because he read that and was broken over that, many believe that it was Deuteronomy that he was reading. Now, I want to point out to you, we are going to try to cover three chapters tonight in the period of about 45, 50 minutes. Deuteronomy is 34 chapters long. So just imagine, just sit back and we're going to listen as, as Josiah reads, 34 chapters in the book of Deuteronomy. Think about that. <laughs> now it says that when he was done, though, look, verse 3. The king stood by the pillar and made a covenant. Again, repentance, turning away from, turning to the Lord. Makes a, made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and with all his soul to carry out the words of the covenant that were written in this book, and all the people entered into the covenant. After reading this, and after reading this in their presence, again, he's moved, he's stirred by the reading as God reveals his word to him, and again, leading to repentance. It's when it says that he follows after all of the law, all of the testimony, all of the covenants that are there. There were 613 commandments given in the Old Testament. It wasn't just 10, 613 revealed as we, go, as we study through all of, the, all of the books, the first five books, then the books of the law, 613 commandments. Jesus narrowed it down to two for us. He said that when it went asked what is the greatest commandment, some Pharisees were trying to get him stuck, they were trying to get him into a corner, trying to trip him up, Jesus answered, he said, you love the Lord with your God with all your heart and soul, with all of your mind. That is the greatest commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And he said this. And on these two commandments hang all of the law and the prophets. So Jesus takes all of the 613 laws, every commandments, everything that is laid out, and he narrows it down to two. You love the Lord the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. You love your neighbor as yourself. To love the Lord with all of your heart, guys, that, our heart is where our desires reside. To love the Lord with all our heart means that we submit, surrender all of our desires to him. Everything that we desire in our lives, we desire to glorify God in that. With all of your heart, with all of your soul, your emotions, how we respond, the, the, our, our character. We love God with our character, our emotions? Does, does our lives, does it, when it's displayed out, our character, does it respond in such a way that it glorifies God, that we truly love God with that? And then also our mind, our thoughts. Loving the Lord with all our heart, soul, and mind. Loving our neighbor as ourselves. Jesus says that takes care of it. And Josiah said that that is my desire, that is my covenant, that is my commitment to you, God. I turn from my wicked ways. And he was a godly man, But even, again, no matter how long you've been walking with the Lord, as he reveals himself to you more and more, repentance should be a natural part of our life. Guys, it is a huge gift that God reveals himself to us in his word. Wouldn't you agree? Is an amazing gift as he reveals himself to us even as we are reading his word and we're like, man, this, as it takes on a different different depth to us. Perhaps you've read the same verses several times before, but you read back through them again and God reveals something else about his character and nature to you or his desire for you. And guys, again, revelation then leads to, a couple of you were paying attention, revelation leads to repentance. Guys, repentance is an amazing gift too. So often we look at that word repentance as a a negative or a bad word. Guys, it's one of the most beautiful words in the Bible. Repentance. It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance as he again, through his love and through his mercy, reveals himself to us, leads us to that point of repentance and we say, God, I... This I, you've revealed this to me, This I desire no longer to walk this way, I wanna follow you and leading in that direction and repentance. Well, as we continue then, revelation leads to repentance, repentance, guys, leads to reformation, a change. And we see the change that comes, not only in Josiah, but in also with all of the people. Notice it says, and the people entered into the covenant. We're going to see the difference between their entering in the covenant and Josiah's entering into the covenant in a little bit. But there was revival that swept through the land. This, this revival, repentance, and the reformation that follows. Look, verse 4, then, and we're going to read several verses here and then come back and look at it. Then the king commanded Hilkiah, the high priest, and the priest of the second order of the doorkeepers to bring out of the temple of the Lord the vessels that were made for Baal and for Ashereth and for all the hosts of heaven, and he burned them outside Jerusalem in the fields of the Kidron and carried their ashes to Bethel, many miles away. He did away with the idolatrous priests whom the kings of Judah had appointed to burn incense in the high places in the cities of Judah and in the surrounding area of Jerusalem. Also those who burned incense to Baal, to the sun and to the moon and to the constellations and to all the hosts of heaven. He brought out the Asherah from the house of the Lord outside of Jerusalem to the brook Kidron and burned it at the brook Kidron and ground it to dust. And he threw its dust on the graves of the common people. And he broke down the houses of the male cult prostitutes which were in the house of the Lord where the women were weaving hangings to the Asherah. He brought all of the priests from the city, cities of Judah and defiled the high places where the priests had burned incense from Geba to Beersheba, and he broke down the high places of the gates which were at the entrance to the, gates, to the gate of Joshua, the governor of the city, which were on the one's left at the city gate. Verse nine, nevertheless, the priests of the high places did not go up to the altar of the Lord in Jerusalem, but they ate unleavened bread among their brothers. He also defiled Topheth, which is in the valley of the sun of Hinnom, that no man might make his son or daughter pass through the fire of Molech. He did away with the horses which the kings of Judah had given to the sun at the entrance of the house of the Lord by the chamber of Nathan Molech, of the official, which was in the precincts, which was in the precincts. And he burned the chariots of the sun with fire. The altars which were on the roof, the upper chamber of Ahaz, which the kings of Judah had made, and the altars which Manasseh had made in the two courts of the house of the Lord, the king broke down and he smashed them and he threw their dust into the brook Kidron. The high places that were before Jerusalem, which were on the right of the Mount of Destruction, which Solomon, the king of Israel, had built for Asherah, the abomination of the Sidonians, for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, and for Milcom, the abomination of Ammon, the king defiled. He broke in pieces and he scattered the pillars and cut down the Asherim, and filled their places with human bones. Furthermore, verse 15, the altar that was at Bethel and the high places which Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel's sin, had, had made, even that altar, that the high place he broke down, then he demolished its stones, ground them to dust, and burned the Asherah. Here we see, again, this sweeping reformation that comes across the land of Judah. And we see the way that he dealt with it. He did not just remove the the problems, he destroyed them. He made it so that they couldn't go back to them. And some of these things that we look at, here again, we read over quite quickly and we'll just go back and touch on, but notice, he brings these things out, these altars, And notice where he brought them out from. He brought them out from the courts, the temple. In verse verse seven, he also broke down the houses of the male cult prostitutes, which were in the house of the Lord. That's how far it had gotten, fallen away, had gotten away during the reign of Manasseh. That they actually had houses for male cult prostitutes in the house of the Lord. And dealing with it as he did, destroying it, grinding it to dust, I mean, so that it could never go back. And guys, when we deal as God reveals to us and we repent and turn away, the reformation that needs to take place in our lives, regardless of what it is that we're turning from, needs to be complete, total, absolute, certain, so that there can't be a turning back destroying it completely and it can be as it can be as serious as something we're dealing with perhaps drugs or alcohol or sexual sin or those types of things absolutely and dealing with those things again so that there is not the way that it can just be easily gone back to but destroying that Jesus Jesus said if your if your eye causes you to sin pluck it out if your hand causes you to sin cut it off. He wasn't talking about physically doing that. That would be legalism and that doesn't fix the problem anyway, does it? Because the problem's in the heart. But we need to deal with those things in our lives that would that that cause us to turn away, cause us to cause us to, to cause us to sin. And deal with it dramatically, graphically, Finally. Dealing with this stuff here, notice too, he says these things were in the house of the Lord. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians in a couple of places, guys, that are the temple of the Lord now is our bodies. Our bodies are the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Holy Spirit. Needing to make sure that none of that, none of, nothing in our bodies is defiled. Dealing with this radically and completely notice it starts right right at first in in the in the place in the in the temple of the lord spreading out throughout all of judah but notice also verse 15 as far as bethel that goes and he speaks of there that goes into israel that's already been taken captive up into up into assyria they're 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 long gone but he goes and even removes those things that those idolatrous places even in israel that Jeroboam had set up, that we've talked of many times, studying through Second Kings, verse sixteen. Now, when Josiah turned, he saw the graves that were there on the mountain, and he sent and took the bones from the graves and burned them on the altar and defiled it according to the word of the Lord, which the the man of God had proclaimed, who proclaimed these things. And you might say, "What things?" And I'm glad you asked because verse seventeen says. Then he said, what is this monument that I see? And the men of the city told him, it is the grave of the man of God who came from Judah and proclaimed these things which you have done against the altar of Bethel. Now, this is awesome. We talked about this many weeks ago when we were in 1 Kings, and perhaps you might have jotted a note down about that, but I'm sure you've forgotten because I did. 1 Kings chapter 13, if you could turn there really fast. This, uh, uh, this is just, again, God is amazing. 1 Kings chapter 13, verse 1. Speaking of this man of God that we just read of in 2 Kings. Now behold, there came a man of God from Judah to Bethel to the, by the word of the Lord, while Jeroboam was standing by the offer to burn incense, He cried against the altar by the word of the Lord and said, O altar, altar, thus says the Lord, behold, a son shall be born to the house of David, Josiah by name, and on you he shall sacrifice the priests of the high places who burn incense to you, and human bones shall be burned on you. Hundreds of years before, God calls his shot, even names the guy, Josiah, and here we see King Josiah, and it's he, not going like Josiah said, I gotta go fulfill this prophecy. He's asking, what's this all about? And God, God is in control. To me, I read this and it just warms my heart again. God is in control. <laughs> He knows the beginning from the end. He is the alpha and the omega. He knows what's tomorrow. He knows what we're gonna need. He has already making plans and provisions for what we're gonna need years down the road, guys. Should he tarry? I mean, I... It just blesses me continually as, as I I there's things that are going on here at the church and things that are needed and I'm praying God would you raise this person up would you I we need help in this area we need this and then I look back months later and say man Lord you had already you were already working that out because here here they are this is exact, you knew exactly what we needed. God is in control. Well, verse 18, he said, let, let him alone, let no one disturb his bones. So they left his bones undisturbed with the bones of the prophet who came from Samaria. Josiah also removed all the houses of the high places which were in the cities of Samaria, which the kings of Israel had made, provoking the Lord. And he did to them just as he had done in Bethel. All the priests of the high places who were there, he slaughtered on the altars and burned human bones on them. Then he returned to Jerusalem. Next, it says, verse 21 Then the king commanded all the people, saying, Celebrate the Passover to the Lord your God as it is written in the book of the covenant. So, guys, after revelation comes repentance. Repentance leads to reformation. And after that, Lord, it comes to rejoicing. We see this celebration again, looking back through the whole process. A rejoicing that takes place. And they're celebrating the Passover. Coming back to the original as they are brought out of the land of Egypt. God has delivered them from the bondage of slavery. And guys, this whole process that, again, just making this real personal and applicable to us. As God reveals himself to us. We repent, turn from that, whatever it is that he's desiring us into this direction that he's calling us. The reformation, the change that takes place in our lives. And then we rejoice as we do, knowing that it's all because, guys, we've been delivered out of the bondage of sin and death. They were called to remember the Passover, that they were delivered out of Egypt. Jesus said, remember communion. He says, do this often to remember me. Remember what it is that you've been delivered from. And then we look forward to the day that we'll do it and celebrate it with him, as we even sang about earlier. Praise the Lord commanded the people, celebrate the Passover. Don't just remember it. This is a celebration. Surely such a Passover has, had not been celebrated from the days of the judges who judged Israel, nor in all the days of the kings of Israel and of the kings of Judah. But in the 18th year of King Josiah, this Passover was observed to the Lord in Jerusalem. It's not that they had not celebrated Passover. We saw that with Hezekiah and other times. They had celebrated Passover, but never like this. I mean, it was a m- huge celebration. Second Chronicles, chronicles the number, uh, the number of animals that were sacrificed and, and just the feast and the celebration that went on. None like it since the times of the judges. Back, back to the early, early days. Moreover, verse 24, Josiah removed the mediums and the spiritists and the, and the teraphim and the idols and all the abominations that were seen in the land of Judah and in Jerusalem that he might confirm the words of the law which were written in the book that Hilkiah the priest found in the house of the Lord. Before him there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, and with all his might according to all the law of Moses, nor did any like him arise after him. We're going to see there's only four more, and it goes quickly downhill. However, verse 26, the Lord did not turn from the fierceness of his great wrath with which his anger burned against Judah because of all the provocations with which Manasseh had provoked him. The Lord said, I will remove Judah also from my sight as I have removed Israel, and I will cast off Jerusalem, this city, which I have chosen, and the temple of which I said, my name shall be there. Now we talked about this so-called turning of all of the hearts. It says everyone, that we looked back, at, back there, that all the people entered into the covenant. The problem is there's more than one way to enter into a covenant. You can, and, and we saw Josiah entered into it with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his might. Well, it's recorded for us in Jeremiah chapter 3. Jeremiah, prophet at this time Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 6 says, Then the Lord said to me in the days of Josiah the king, Have you seen what faithless Israel did? Speaking of the northern tribes. She went up on every high hill and under every green tree, and she was a harlot there. I thought after she had done all these things she would return to me, but she did not return, and her treacherous sister Judah saw it. And I saw that all of her adulteries... Of faithless Israel, I had sent her away and given her a writ of divorce. Yet her treacherous sister Judah did not fear, but she went and was a harlot also. Because of the lightness of her harlotry, she polluted the land and committed adultery with stones and trees. Verse 10 says Yet in spite of all of this, her treacherous sister Judah did not return to me with all her heart, but rather in deception declares the Lord. So it tells us that in the days of Josiah, yes, there was a turning of Judah, but it was a turning not with their heart, but in deception. Now, we've talked of that word before, deception. It means more than lying. It means more than being lied to. To be deceived means you believe the lie. So when God says that they've turned in deception, does that mean that God believed the lie? No, You can fool some of the people all of the time. You can fool all of the people some of the time, but you can't fool God any time. God can't be deceived. So who's deceived? They were. They believed that they were turning to God. They believed that they were doing things right because of the outward actions that were taking place. But he said, their heart never turned. Their heart never came back to me. Their heart still belonged to someone else. Or something else. There was some other God involved. And that God, and as we've talked many times, and we understand this, idolatry is placing anything or anyone in a higher position than God. Including ourselves. And by the way, as we just read, God has a pretty f- strong view of idolatry. He calls it harlotry. He calls it adultery. And we see that, again, even though Josiah had this brief period of turning, and no doubt some did with all of their heart, the majority of the people in the land did not. And because of the sins which had already begun through Manasseh and everything, God had pronounced this judgment that was coming. Now, verse 28, the rest of the acts of Josiah and all that he did are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? In his days, Pharaoh Nico, king of Egypt, went up to, went up to the king of Assyria to the river Euphrates, and king, Yo- jo- and king Josiah went up to meet him, and when Pharaoh Nico saw him, he killed him at Megiddo. Really quickly, what's happening is there's a huge shift in power going on. Remember, the Assyrians were the, the ones in power over the, this area of the world at this time. They have been rapidly losing power. Egypt now joining forces with Assyria to come and fight against the rising power, Babylon. Chronicles fills this in a little bit more. Pharaoh, Pharaoh Nico on his way up, gonna meet with Assyria, gonna go to war against Babylon. Josiah, unfortunately, sticks his nose in where it doesn't belong. He should have stayed out of this. It doesn't tell us that God told him to get involved anywhere in this. But he does, and he's killed in the battle with, with Pharaoh, killed in, in in Megiddo, Armageddon, where the battle of Armageddon will take place. His servants drove his body in a chariot from Megiddo and brought him to Jerusalem and buried him in his own tomb. Then the people of the land took Jehoaz, the son of Josiah, and anointed him and made him king in place of his father. Jehoaz was 23 years old when he became king, and he reigned three months in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was was Hamutal, the daughter of Jeremiah, not the prophet Jeremiah, but a different Jeremiah of Libna. He did notice here evil in the sight of the Lord, did not follow after his father Josiah. And in three months that showed, according to all that his fathers had done. Pharaoh Necho imprisoned him at Ribna in the land of Hamath, that he might not reign in Jerusalem, and he imposed on the land a fine of 100 talents of silver and a talent of gold. Jehoaz was not the oldest son. That was typically what happened. They would place the oldest son to take to reign in their in his father's place. He was not the oldest, but the people put him there. Pharaoh steps in now after, and now and it says, We're gonna, we're gonna exercise a tax over you. And he removed one of the kings and places the other son in place. It tells us verse 34 Pharaoh Necho made Eliakim, the son of Josiah king in the place of Josiah, his father, and changed his name to Jehoiakim. But he took Jehoaz away and brought him to Egypt, and he died there. So Jehoiakim gave the silver and gold to Pharaoh, but he taxed the land in order to give the money at the command of Pharaoh. He extracted the silver and the gold from the people of the land, each according to the valuation to give to Pharaoh Necho. Jehoiakim was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Zediba, the daughter of Padiah of Rumah. He did evil in the sight of the Lord according to all that his fathers had done. So he doesn't follow the Lord either. He is paying tribute to Egypt, but again, I told you, Babylon is the rising power. And we see here he's called in verse, verse 1 king, but he's still the prince at this time, Nebuchadnezzar probably heard that name before. Nebuchadnezzar, prince now, he is now coming into, it tells us in, the, in his days, in Jehoiakim's days, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up. This is the first time through. He's on his way to deal with Egypt. He deals with Egypt on his way back. He takes captive certain, certain the first group of captives to take back to Babylon. Among that group is Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah, or you might know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. (laughs) They're part of this first group, and we see that in Daniel, the first few verses of Daniel, that the, the timing tells us that they're part of this first group of captives that Nebuchadnezzar takes back. When he gets back, he is in a hurry to get back because his father has died and he now becomes king. So it tells us Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up. And Jehoiakim became his servant for three years. Then he turned and rebelled against him. The Lord sent against him bands of Chaldeans, band of Arameans, bands of Moabites, bands of Ammonites. So he sent them against Judah to destroy it. And this is important. It says, according to the word of the Lord, which he had spoken through his servants, the prophets. Surely at the command of the Lord, it came upon Judah to remove them from his sight because of the sins of Manasseh, according to all that had been done. and also for all of the innocent blood which had been shed. For he filled Jerusalem with innocent blood and the Lord would not forgive. Now the rest of the acts of Jehoiakim and all that he did, are they not written in the books of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? I say that's important because as we go through this, we need to remember that this is by the hand of God that all of this is happening. It's not because this is out of control and God somehow is losing the battle to Babylon. No, Babylon is God's tool instrument. It's not because of Babylon's might. It's not because of Nebuchadnezzar's brilliance. As a matter of fact, read Daniel and you see what, how God deals with Nebuchadnezzar because he gets so proud in all of this. But God is using Babylon as an instrument to deal with his children, Judah. And we see now that, that, that it's because, again, of the, the, their idolatry and the killing of innocent people, one of which we mentioned last time, Isaiah. We believe tradition tells us Manasseh had Isaiah put in a log and saw it in half, speaking of that innocent blood that was shed. Well, verse 6, so Jehoiakim slept with his fathers, and Jehoiachin, his son, became king in his place. The king of Egypt did not come out of his land again, because again, Nebuchadnezzar went down there, dealt with Egypt, did not come out of its land again, for the king of Babylon had taken all that belonged to the king of Egypt from the brook of Egypt to the river Euphrates, Jehoiachin was eighteen years old when he became king, and he reigned three months in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Nehushta, the daughter of El Nathan of Jerusalem. He did evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all his fathers had done. At that time The servants of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, went up to Jerusalem, and the city came under siege. So this is the first major siege. Again, they came through the first time. No doubt some, some battles being fought, captives taken away. But here he comes back. He had to get back. His father died, remember, made king. He comes back now and lays siege to Jerusalem. Nebuchadnezzar, verse 11 came to the city while his servants were besieging it. Jehoiachin, the son of Judah, went out to the king of Babylon, and he, his mother, and his servants, and his captains, and his officials. So the king of Babylon took him captive in the eighth year of his reign. So the king surrenders And he takes them captive along with his family. Verse 13, he carried out from there all the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house and cut in pieces all the vessels of gold which Solomon, king of Israel, had made in the temple of the Lord, just as the Lord had said. Then he led away into exile all Jerusalem and all the captains and all the mighty men of valor, 10,000 captives, and all the craftsmen and all the smiths. None remained except the poorest people in the land. So it tells us here that they come through after this siege, they take away not only the highest quality of the materials, the gold, the silver, the richness that is there, stripping the temple, staking all of the, the money from, from the treasuries that are there. And notice it says, just as the Lord had said, if you'll remember back in 2 Kings chapter 20, we looked at this a couple of weeks ago during Hezekiah's reign. Remember in his pride, after he had been given that extension of life, there were some people that came from Babylon, seemed innocent enough, and he showed them all the wealth. And remember, Isaiah told him, there will be a day when Babylon will come back and will take all of this away. And here we see it fulfilled just a few years later. Not only just the the richness, the the vessels of gold, all of that, but takes away all of the, the prominent people, captains, the mighty men of valor, the captains, the craftsmen, the smiths. Also in this exile is the prophet Ezekiel, as he is taken away into captivity into Babylon. Verse 15, so he led Jehoiachin away into exile to Babylon, also the king's mother and the king's wives and his officials and the leading men of the land. He led away into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. All the men of valor, 7,000, and the craftsmen and the smiths, 1,000, all strong and fit for war, and these the king of Babylon brought into exile to Babylon. He's taken... All of the, 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 the intelligence, all of the military might so that they can't rebuild, they can't you know, cause a threat because they're still leaving quite a few people there. The king of Babylon made, made his uncle Mattaniah king in his place and changed his name to Zedekiah. Zedekiah is a prominent figure that Jeremiah the prophet will be speaking and warning often as you read through. Jeremiah, many chapters devoted to the warnings given to Zedekiah during this time that we'll cover in just a few minutes. Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Hamutal, the daughter of Jeremiah of Libna. He did evil in the sight of the Lord according to all that Jehoiakim had done. For through the anger of the Lord this came about in Jerusalem and Judah, until he cast them out of his presence, and Zedekiah rebelled against the king of Babylon. You'd think they'd learn their lesson, but they don't. Seems like everybody thinks, well, I can be the one to get away with it. I can be the one to pull this off. I can be the one that isn't going to be affected if I step outside. And isn't that just like our flesh? We can be warned again and again and again. We can be told we can be told all of these things with the Word of God over and over where it, it says, and the one that it just pops into my mind, just thinking now, where it says that we're not to be unequally yoked. We're not to be involved in a relationship with an unbeliever. Not that we don't re- talk with them and, and interact with them, but not involved in a serious relationship. Not to get, don't get married with an unbeliever. But I, I can't tell you how many times I hear that all of a sudden, well, God told me I'm the exception to the rule. God told me that he's going to use me to bring this person to the Lord or whatever it is. And I'm like, that's not how it works, man. <laughs> or woman. <laughs> it goes both ways. <laughs> the, 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 all of these things, we somehow believe that, that, well, I can do this or I can be involved in this or it's not going to fa- affect me. And you, it, every time every time and here we see pride that's that's the number one thing somehow in our pride and in our ego in our flesh we think that we can do it zedekiah rebels against the king of babylon and as you read through jeremiah it tells us in many places jeremiah is warning him don't do it as a matter of fact what you need to do is recognize that it's not it's not nebuchadnezzar and it's not babylon who's doing this anyway it's God who's doing it. And if you'll just embrace the fact that we deserve this and that God is teaching us a lesson and we just go along with it, we can be blessed in the process and come through it on the other end. Don't fight it. Don't work against it because you can't win. But he does anyway. No matter how much he's warned. Verse 20, or Chapter 25, now in the ninth year of his reign, on the tenth day of the tenth month, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came. He and all his army against Jerusalem camped against it and built a siege wall all around it. So the city was under siege until the 11th year of King Zedekiah. A couple of years of this siege that is going on and that was a way that they did warfare often back then. We've talked about that. Instead of... Instead of you're the one that's going on the offensive, you're the one that's going to take over that city, why would, you have your, why would you put your soldiers at risk? Just circle the city and starve them out. Cut off all the food in and out, cut off all the water in and out, and eventually they're going to they're gonna starve to death, they're going to whatever. Again, remember I mentioned back in, in Deuteronomy, God outlines, and you read chapter 28, he outlines what will happen if they turn away even to the point where it's it's predicted what takes place here. They turn to cannibalism as they're trying to survive inside the city walls of Jerusalem as Babylon has it surrounded. Well, verse 3, on the ninth day of the fourth month, the famine was so severe in the city that there was no food for the people of the land. Then the city was broken into. They would finally got to the point where they're so weak, they can't defend themselves, they can't fight anymore. And all the men of war fled by night by the way of the gate between the two walls besides the king's garden through the Cal- though the Chaldeans were all around the city and they went by way of Ereba. But the army of the Chaldeans pursued the king and overtook him in the plains of Jericho and all his army was scattered from him. So Zedekiah is, is captured, everybody else runs away. They captured the king and brought him to the king of Babylon at Riblah, and he passed sentence on him. They slaughtered the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes, and then put out the eyes of Zedekiah and bound him with bronze fetters and brought him to Babylon. Now, Ezekiel, as I mentioned, he's a prophet now already in Babylon, but speaking and prophesying as the Lord is speaking through him about what would happen to Zedekiah. Interestingly enough, it says in Ezekiel chapter 12, verse 13, I will also spread my net over him, speaking of Zedekiah, and he will be caught in my snare and I will bring him to Babylon in the land of the Chaldeans, yet he will not see it, though he will die there. Interesting. Ezekiel prophesies exactly what takes place here. He's going to Babylon, but he's not gonna see it. As a matter of fact, the last thing that he sees is the thing that's no doubt burned in his memory the entire time that he still lives is his sons being executed right before his eyes. Well, verse eight, now on the seventh day of the fifth month, which was the 19th year of King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, a servant of the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem. And he burned the house of the Lord, the, king, the king's house and all the houses of Jerusalem. Even every great house he burned with fire. So all the army of the Chaldeans who were with the captain of the guard broke down the walls around Jerusalem. Then the rest of the people who were left in the city and the deserters who had deserted the king of Babylon and the rest of the people Nebuchadnezzar, the king of the guard, carried away into exile. But the captain of the guard left some of the poorest of the land to be vine dressers and plowmen. Here we see 424 years after Solomon dedicated this amazing temple, and when, if you remember back when we read through that and the prayer of dedication and all of that, that high point in the, the history of Israel. Here we see torn apart, torn down, burned. The walls torn down. The last of the people carried away into exile. They left, it says that they left a few people just so that the land doesn't become overrun so that they could take care of the the vineyards and the gardens. Now the bronze pillars which were in the house of the Lord, the stands in the bronze sea which were in the house of the Lord, the Chaldeans broke in pieces and carried the bronze to Babylon. They took away the pots, the shovels, the snuffers, the spoons, and all the bronze vessels which were used in temple service. Prior to that, they carried away all the gold, all the silver. Now they take away all of the bronze. There's nothing left. The captain of the guard also took away the fire pans and the basins, what was fine gold and what was fine silver. The two pillars in one sea and the stands which Solomon had made for the house of the Lord, the bronze of all the vessels was beyond weight. The height of the one pillar was 18 cubits, and the bronze capital was on it. And the height of the capital was three cubits, a network of pomegranates on the capital, all around it, all of bronze. And the second pillar was like it with the network. Then the captain of the guard took Sariah the chief priests, and Zephaniah, the second priest, with all the three officials of the temple... From the city he took one official who was overseer of the men of the war and, f- and five of the king's advisors who were found in the city and the scribe of the captain of the army who mustered the people of the land and 60 men of the people of the land who were found in the city. Nebuchadnezzar, the, king, the, the captain of the guard, took them and brought them to the king of Babylon in Riblah. The king of Babylon struck them down, put them to death at Riblah in the land of Hamath. So Judah was led away into exile from its land. 860 years after Joshua led them across the Jordan River, they're led away. It's, it's just—it's such a sad story to read. And again, even tonight as we've gone through and looked at these five kings from Josiah to this in just a matter of, of years and they're led away tells us that they took away, again, all of these. And it lists quite a few things. One thing that's not listed in here, we don't see the Ark of the Covenant listed here, and some believe there's tradition that Jeremiah, seeing this happening, knowing that this was coming, hit it. He made movies about that, Raiders of the Lost Ark, all these other kind of things. You know, is it still around? Is it here? Is it there? Is it, you know, bottom line, who knows? And quite honestly, I don't care. <laughs> um, it, 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 that, it, that doesn't matter. You know, that it, it's, it certainly was a symbol for them back then, but but we know that the mercy seat, <laughs> that all of all of that, every bit of it, all of the sacrificial system, all everything pointed to pointed to Jesus, Jesus, the fulfillment of all of that. But God's not done with Israel. God's not done with his people. The northern tribes scattered, lost all record. We don't have a record of any. No one can trace their lineage back. In the times of Jesus, no one can trace their lineage back through to the children of Israel. scattered everywhere, but not so with Judah, not so with these people, not so with the tribes here that are carried away to Babylon. We talked when the Assyrians took them away, they'd spread them all out so that they intermarried and, they, and all of that, but here we'll see that There's this remnant that's kept together. And 70 years later, we'll see Ezra, Nehemiah coming back, rebuilding Ezra, rebuilding the temple, Nehemiah rebuilding the walls, and and that. We'll study that after we get through Chronicles. But this date that they are carried away into captivity, July 16th, 586 BC, we know that through the Chaldean calendars and, and all of this stuff from Babylon. Um, They kept very detailed records of these very events that have been uncovered, and it's not until May 14th, 1948 that Israel will be a sovereign nation again in Israel, 2,500 years. But as we see history now unfolding right before our eyes as Israel again is a sovereign nation, God's not done with Israel. Well, let's get through these last couple of verses, and then we'll complete our goal for the evening. Now, as for the people who were left in the land of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had left, he appointed Gedaliah, the son of Ahiakim, the son of Shaphan, over them. When all the captains of the forces, they and their men, heard that the king of Babylon had appointed Gedaliah governor, they came to Gedaliah at Mizpah, Namely, Ishmael, the son of Neth- uh, Nethaniah, Johanan, the son of Kariah, Saraiah, the son of Ten the Nephholite, Netaphil- and Jehaniah, the son of, Mahak- of the Mahakadite, and they and their men. You read them. Get <laughs> a <laughs> Get Elias swore to them and their men and said to them, Do not be afraid of the servants of the Chaldeans. Live in the land and serve the king of Babylon, and all will be well with you. Again, he gives them the same warning Jeremiah did. Guys, if you just live in the land, serve the king, everything will be right. Everything will be okay. You think they listened? But it came about in the seventh month that Ishmael, the son of Nathaliah, the son of of Eshema, the royal family, came with ten men and struck Gedaliah down so that he died along with the Jews and the Chaldeans who were with him at Mizpah. Then all the people, both small and great, and the captains of the forces arose and went to Egypt, for they were afraid of the Chaldeans. Interesting, it's the last remnant of those that were left there returned to Egypt. Full circle. Anyway. Now it came about in the 37th year of the exile of Jehoiachin remember him king of Judah in the 12th month of the 12th of the 27th day of the month that evil Mordecai evil Mordecai who'd name their son that but anyway king of Babylon in the year that he became king released Jehoiachin king of Judah from prison so here we see Nebuchadnezzar's son we're fast forwarding and at, that is, in his first year, he releases Jehoiachin, king of Judah, from prison. Now, he doesn't let him go back home. tells us here he spoke kindly to him, set his throne above the thrones of the kings who were there in Babylon. Jehoiachin changed his, prison, changed his prison clothes and had his meals in the king's presence regularly all the days of his life. For his allowance was a regular allowance, was given to him by the king, a portion for each day, all the days of his life. Jehoiachin then lives out his days Alongside the king of, of Babylon after Nebuchadnezzar passes from the scene. Well, that brings us to the end of Second Kings. We will jump into first Chronicles next week next week, Lord willing. Let, let's pray. Lord, we we thank you for your word, and as we study through it, you tell us that these things that we studied this evening are recorded and preserved by you for us for our learning so that they, are a, they can be an example for us Lord, we talked about how so often we can look at examples that have been given to us over and over and over, things tried, true proven, and yet we can somehow think well we'll be different if we do things our way instead Lord let that never be the case for us let us learn from this let us learn first Lord from Josiah how to be those of godly character that, that seek after you. Regardless of our age, regardless of how long we've been following you, Lord, our desire is to seek you. And your word promises us that if we seek you with our whole heart, you will be found by us. You will reveal yourself to us, Lord. And as, we re- as you reveal yourself to us, Lord, uh, let us have that heart, that, that humble heart of repentance to turn Whatever direction it is that you would have us turn. Lord, that there would be, that we would deal radically with those things in our lives that need to be dealt with. Lord, and that's individual for each of us. Lord, as we humbly come before you, we ask that you would reveal those things to us. And Lord, our desires to please you deal with those things. Lord, we rejoice. We rejoice in the completed work of Jesus on the cross on our behalf, the salvation that is ours. The eternal life, and as we sang earlier, Lord, those days that we will be dancing in your presence in the future, Or we look so forward to that. Lord, let us see the, the mistakes, let us see the sin, the, the idolatry, and what it leads to. Lord, how it breaks your heart, and Lord, those things that you call us away from because you care for us, because you love us, because you're a jealous God. We thank you for that. We thank you and praise you, Lord. We ask your blessing on this, the remainder of this week, this weekend, with the real Christmas surprise, Lord. Let us be that light shining on a hill. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. God bless you guys. Have a good rest of the week, and we'll see you Saturday.